Thanks to the two Johnnies, it's Tuesday the 8th of November and this is Game On. Coming up today, Ireland's gymnastic gold medalist, world champion Reese McLennigan on making history at the highest level. In hurling, he put it on the line for Tipperary, so it's fitting for his memoir, Potty Mars, live in studio. If you want to get in touch, please text us on 51552 or tweet at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. So, Marie, you more homework done for tonight? You more on the ball? I'm a little bit more on the ball now today. Are you going to be nicer to me? You look, so you up your game and I'll be nice. So it depends on my performance. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got, the, only good thing, the only good thing for you is we've Potty Mar in studio, so it's GAA. There's no homework involved in that for you. Now I know what it feels like to be uh, Reese McLennigan under a lot of pressure on the big stage having to deliver, and I'm delighted to say that he joins us now on the line. Reese, how are things? <laughs> They're very good. <laughs> Just to bring you up to speed, Ruby was slagging me yesterday. He he felt that I didn't deliver enough during the show and I wasn't prepared enough. So uh, it's like the opposite to you at the weekend when you were winning the gold medal at the World Championships. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's time to take it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was very congratulations, Reese, first of all. Thank you so much. So tell us, um, it's been a couple of days now. Has it sunk in? Uh, not quite. I have to admit, not quite. But uh, it still feels weird when you're you're introducing me as a world champion, and that's uh, that's something that I've dreamed of for my entire life, more or less. Funnily, that's how you're going to be introduced for the rest of your life because mm-hmm. it'll never ever be taken away from you. Yeah, and that's the, what the incredible thing is. You know, I breathe a sigh of relief knowing that um, because it is, of course, one of my main goals in this sport to to be a world champion, to have finally done it, and. Uh, only at the age of 23, it is a, a huge relief. God, it feels like you've been around so much longer than that, Reese. I've been only 23, you've, you've so much ahead of you. But it, like, I'm so curious about your story and, and how somebody from Ireland can get to the top of a sport like gymnastics when it's not something that we would traditionally be noted for. We will be from now on, but what was? how did you get into it and what was it like around for you growing up? Yeah, I mean, it, it is certainly uh, a different sport. Uh, I didn't have any mates or anything that uh, done gymnastics outside of the um, gymnastics club. Uh, but, you know, it was just something that I immediately enjoyed. Uh, I would say I was doing gymnastics before I even went to the gymnastics club. I taught myself how to do a backflip on the, on the trampoline out in my back garden. And um, I feel like when my mum and dad seen that, they were like, yeah, let's uh, take this guy to the gymnastics club. But Reese, you could have done so many disciplines within gymnastics, rings, high bars, vault. Why the pommelers? I feel like it's the most technical out of all of the apparatus. And uh, I was able to, to piece together that puzzle quite early um, in my gymnastics career. Of course, I'd done all six of the events throughout my junior career. Um, but then when it came to, to my senior career, that's when I, I really started to focus in on the pommel horse because I knew that I could be the best in the world at one stage. So we know Luke Carson is your your coach and I remember him from competing himself. What was the coaching like when you were growing up, Reese? Um, when I was very young, uh, I was switching about coaches a lot. Uh, there was never one coach that, that stuck with me until I went to look at the age of 14. And uh, that's really when my gymnastics uh, turned around for the better. Uh, I feel like without Luke, I would have just been a, a mediocre gymnast, maybe just going to these world championships and just participating but uh, hopefully, well, gladly with uh, Luke's help I, I'm able to, to say I'm, I'm a world champion now You will be that and that forever you go back to the seniors were so far back anyway we started 2016 you won medals at the junior championships 2018 podium finishes at the European championships and the Commonwealth Games did you just think that this was 
simple. This is the norm. This is the way it's always going to be. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I did start to realise at the age of about 16 that, you know, I could... I really do have the possibility of, of becoming a world champion here. You know, at the age of 18, I, I beat the Olympic champion uh, and to kind of shocked the sporting world and uh, proved to myself what I was really capable of. But, uh, you know, finally the day has come where I can say that I'm a world champion. 2019, world champ- or bronze of the world championships, then a shoulder injury. And shoulders are critical for every sport. But in, in, in your particular division... Like, how, like the shoulder injuries are so debilitating. I mean, when you start to rehab from a shoulder injury, you almost feel like your arms are never going to work again. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, it's a, it was a long old road that uh, rehabilitation process, and uh, it just shows what what impact the body has uh, when you're when you're you know a professional athlete. Uh, you you push your body to the limit, and uh, I find my limit there uh, with that shoulder injury. So I had to rehabilitate the shoulder, come back, qualify to the Olympic Games um, and, you know, go go and participate at the Olympic Games and that was one of the main things that did just push me into only doing the pommel horse was that shoulder injury but, you know, it, it worked out for the better. What stage did you start to work with um, somebody that specialises in mindset, a psychologist, that sort of, um, that sort of person? Yeah, well, I, I've worked with a psychologist now for probably about three years, and uh, that's mainly thanks to the Institute of Sport that's um, up in Abbottstown uh, in Dublin, and uh, it's it's amazing to have those facilities and have those options to actually speak with sports psychologists because I feel like my sport is 80% mental and 20% physical, and the, the mentality side of things is super important, especially when you, you come to present in that routine in front of you know, thousands and thousands of people, and uh, you need to you need to certainly have your mind switched on. What do you talk about? What way do those conversations go? I often wonder this, and I performed for years myself. But I often wondered, how do you start that conversation? What does a sports psychologist say to you? Mostly listening. You you know, it's it's allowing me to organise my thoughts. Uh, speaking out loud almost solidifies certain thoughts or or highlights what thoughts aren't needed. Um, I feel like that is the the main pattern that happens when I go to um, a psychology session. It, it organises my thinking and uh, leaves my brain less scattered and, and more focused and clear on my target. Did it click straight away or does it take a while? Like, Do you have to do different things to figure out what what works best for you? Yeah, it, it certainly does take time and it'll, it'll forever be a learning process. There's never going to be a day where I say, there, I've got it, I've, I've figured out my, my psychology. <laughs> it's, it's a constant changing process and that, that just happens with maturity and it happens with uh, different circumstances. You know, you're always going to get knocked down and you always need to make sure that you've got the right uh, attitude to come back from that knockdown. How do you come back from knockdowns, Reese? Because there has been a few. Yes, there certainly has been, uh, especially this this past year or so. It's um, it felt like I've been kicked when I was down, even, and uh, I was just glad that I was able to to summon the energy, summon the motivation, and change uh, disappointing circumstances into into motivation. Really, it just made me hungrier for this gold medal, and uh, I was just so thankful that I got this opportunity this year and uh, worked my butt off for it. It looked like you did. When you're coming to the end of your routine, you must have known it was pretty near perfection. Was there any jitter in your mind or were you just concentrating so hard that you knew once you dismounted, I've nailed it? 
Yeah, I mean, the the relief came from just doing the routine, doing the routine that I'd practiced hundreds of times and doing those skills that I practiced thousands of times. Um, it was it was a relief that I'd done done my job because I go there to do the routine that I've practiced over and over again. And, you know, the, the a big score is a bonus and a podium finish is a bonus. So I was just happy that I went there and done my job. And thankfully, that job was, was more than good enough to get that gold medal. Are there parts within the routine that when you've completed them, you think, that part's over, I'm getting there? Or is it just one, I don't know, one deep breath from start to finish? I guess it's uh, that, that's the thing. You need to make sure that you're maintaining that focus. You know, the physical aspect of things, the physical preparation is done. That's, that was done in the, in the grueling conditioning that my coach sets me in the weeks prior to the competition. I was physically ready, and now it just came down to, to my my focus really uh, and I thankfully held my focus after each skill after another taking one at a time and you know all of a sudden the floor is hitting your feet and you've you've done the best routine you can at the at a world championships. So when you're sitting there watching your competitors do their routines what's going through your mind? Fall off, fall off, <laughs> fall off. <laughs> no you know what I, I love the fact that um, I'm in some of these finals and everybody stays on that's the dream final. Uh, the the better everybody else does, the more um, you know. The, the better the victory. It feels like um, you know. I, I want everybody to be at a competition. I want everybody to do their best routine, and hopefully, I come out on top. Even so, you just want to beat the best, doing the best. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's the that's the best feeling. It surely is, Reese. You're 23. You will be 25 when the Summer Olympics roll around in Paris. What's 25 for? a pommel horse, a gymnast. Is it peak? Is it in the in your prime? It is in most sports, but I'm not certain about gymnastics. Yeah, to be honest, I'm not certain either. There's a 38-year-old on the podium beside me there at, um, Jeez, at the World Championship. years left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might be an exception. He's the oldest um, gymnast to get a world medal ever. So that was uh, another piece of history in that pommel final. Uh, but... I'm not sure if I'll go that long, but there's many, many years to go um, and uh, they'll be hopefully filled with gold medals. So your competitors will have watched your routine last weekend and will be trying to get to that level. What do you have to do to improve? What can you change? How can you be a little bit better by 2024? Yeah, I mean, I guess my plan is to, to add more difficulty to that routine, but make sure that I had that difficulty without uh, sacrificing any of the execution of the routine because those are the two the two scores in gymnastics, the difficulty score, which is adding up all the skills together, and then there's the execution, which is out of 10. So uh, I'm looking forward to having more opportunities to, to add that, that a difficult skill into your routine and then push that lead out even further than I already have. How much have you changed the difficulty level over the last year or so? Uh, it's it's altered between different routines. Uh, I feel like that was part of the the disappointments that were before this World Championships this year. Um, I changed the routine, trying trying something out. It's a strategy that my my coach and I thought would work. It didn't work. We took out skills, put it in the bin, and uh, went back to to another routine. And that's just um, you know something that happens in gymnastics. You need to try and test these these different strategies. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. So when you're watching other gymnasts qualifying for the Olympics and looking at their routines, do you tailor your routine from what you think will be required to win? Like you watch football teams, they 
analyse the opposition. Do you analyse the opposition and then tailor your routine for what's going to be required, or do you just set your own one up? I, I, I guess a little bit of both. You know, you don't want to to do so much risky skills when they're not needed or required. Um, kind of like I did at World Championships. That routine that I done was my baseline routine. But after the competition, my coach asked me, "Would I would I have been ready if?" My coach asked me to do this skill. You know, if the guy before me done this absolutely enormous routine and scored a really good score, if my coach said to me, put in this skill, would I be able to do it? And I said to him, yes, I think I would be able to do that. So it's it's preparing me for the future. And straight away, as you, as you heard there, that's my coach preparing me for a mindset that might be required in the future. Luke himself is still really young as well, Reese. Um, it's not that long ago since he was competing, but it, it seems like he's really got the coaching thing down. Yeah, I mean, I I believe I genuinely believe that there's no other person that um, that could have walked this road with me. I don't think there would have been any other coach on the planet that could have brought me to world champion status. Um, I was a, when I first came to look, I was very rough around the edges in terms of my gymnastics, and um, you know, Luke isn't just a coach to me; he's a he's a friend, but he's also that psychologist as well. Um, he, Luke is also my psychologist. And um, he makes sure that he understands my my moods every day. I go into the gym, how far to push me. If he needs to change the training program in any way, he will very strategically. And uh, that's just um, that you know that that's what's got me so grateful to have Luke as a coach right by my side all the time. So there's a great coach in in uh, Luke in this country, and, and there's a brilliant gymnastic or uh, gymnast in, in you in this country. What's the scene like coming up? Like I was watching uh, Rob Heffernan's Instagram the other day and looking at his uh, little daughter, and and she looks apart as well. And with two Olympians as parents, I I'm, I'm, I don't doubt that. But it, like, what's what's the talent like coming through? Yeah, I'm very excited for the future. I feel like the grassroots for for Ireland is um, is the place to put focus into. And that's what, you know, the national championships that Gymnastics Ireland run, are. they're catering to that so much. They're allowing young gymnasts to, to have that opportunity to enjoy the sport, to enjoy competing. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can add to that too. I know how much inspiration I took from watching gymnasts on the TV, winning gold medals. And I was saying to myself, I want to be like them one day. And now I can say I am. So I want the younger generation to, to beat all of my achievements. I want them to do so much better than mine, but I'll certainly really try hard. to set the bar high. <laughs> when you're world champion, it's hard for them to beat that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's a level they might have to get there. But Reese, it's the mid of November. You are world champion. What's on the horizon? Sit back, relax all your way to Christmas. Are you back training? Is there competitions coming up? What's in store for you? I think I'll have one or two weeks off training. It's been a very, very long competition oh, season. Treat yourself a whole two weeks. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, two weeks is, is just pushing it. Um, but it's been a long competition season. In gymnastics, there's not really even a, a, a season, if you will. It's just the, the competition is scattered throughout the year. And uh, it just so happened this year that we were in competition mode all year round until now. And um, that's a, it's a very hard job. And uh, I'm glad that my body uh, withstood it. Um, and now it's time to give my mind a little bit of a rest. I see Jimmy Nesbitt is also one of your sponsors. Have you any night planned out in Belfast with Jimmy? <laughs> I'll have to give him a text here to see if he wants to have a pint. It'd be most appropriate. Anyway, for myself and Marie Reese, well done. Congratulations. An amazing achievement. And we hope you enjoy your 10 days, maybe 14 days off. <laughs>
Thank you so much, guys. Talk to you, Reese. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. Ruby is with me, as is Paddy Marr. Um, we were just talking to Reese McLennigan there. And before we get into Paddy and his new book, All on the Line, Ruby, I was fascinated listening to you talking to Reese. And Paddy, if you want to jump in on this as well, do um, asking him about the sports psychologist and what way the conversations went. Never tempted, were you? No, I was never. No, I was never <laughs> tempted. Um, I'm third. I'm going to say I'm 39 I'm 43 <laughs> um, I think I was just too old um, I don't know I think I dealt with it in my own way I mean we'll talk to Potty about it like I took uh, criticism as in I will prove you wrong um, I took defeat because there's so much defeat in racing you had to be used to it no matter how successful you were as a jockey you lost at least two and three probably in three and four times that you competed so losing was just part of it and I don't know. Um, I suppose I did speak to my wife and my father quite a bit, and maybe they were my psychologists. But um, no, I was never tempted. Are you, are you curious about it now? When you were asking Reese there, like it sounded like you were curious. I was. I often wonder what way the conversation went. You sat down and how do you make me a winner? I, I, I don't. I don't know how do, you, how do you start that conversation? And I was like, what, what is it? I don't know. And people say like, um, interesting. My body thinks like it's all about confidence. But to me, confidence was only ever the ability to think positively. That's mm. what cause confidence is. Potty, in your book, um, All on the Line, which is in all good bookshops now, uh, Potty Mara is with us, anyone that's just joining us, uh, you do refer to speaking to Caroline Courage and, and the fact that she was able to, I guess, like bring out your emotions as a team and that it was really beneficial for you to almost put it all out there, um, how you were feeling. It was after, was it was it back as far as, 2010 2009 2010 yeah and that it was really benefited and Ruby was asking the question there like how does a conversation like that start in a way I can see how it would start with an individual but when you're in a team like what does the sports psychologist say to you who starts crying first party (laughs) (laughs) I think we all cried that day uh, Ruby but um, yeah no like Carolyn just done it very well that day Um, it was in Carton House I remember she just kind of asked a question really in front of the group and we all had to kind of give our own feelings or opinion. And it was just the question she kind of thrown to us was, what, how did we all feel after losing the 2009 All-Ireland against Kilkenny, which for a lot of us was our first All-Ireland. And I was I was one of the younger lads in part of the group. You'd have way more experienced lads there as well. And it was just, it just got to show that when everyone started talking about their emotions and how they felt, how it affected them, how it affected their families, you know, and you know, not getting to win that medal that everyone so craves, like um you know, everyone just started getting real emotional and and you know, it kind of made you feel and think, you know, this actually means more to people than you you might realise or certain individuals in the group and um you know, that really kind of, you know, I suppose drove us on in a way for the rest of the year that we know what it means to the group now and we don't have to speak about it again as such we know what we all feel like about it and how much the medal wouldn't that medal mean to us and that kind of drove us on for the 2010 season. So you channel that emotion into not ever having it again? Yeah, exactly. You don't want to, I suppose you don't want to feel the hurt of losing like you did the previous September and we kind of, I won't say, we we used it quietly as the group then because we all knew how we felt so there's no need of us all keep talking about it once over and over again. We just went out and trained hard and you know, I think that kind of got us through, you know, tight games that we 
we won that season afterwards I know we would beat Galway by a point in the quarter final um, you know so you know and then the final itself then I suppose it all came to fruition that day then Caroline Curry, like I've never interviewed her. I've actually never met her. If she was standing out there, I, I wouldn't know who she is. But I so thought you were best friends. You talk about her so much. I'm so curious about her. Like I, I just, I guess, because I've never been in that situation. But she, to bring so many teams to get them over the line, to be involved in so many winning teams, Tyrone, yourselves, Limerick. Um, she was with Munster and she's gone now. Uh, but it's so interesting that there can be that common thread and, and that it is the mental side of the game but like how often does she work with you? Like it's not really hands on day in day out it's only kind of there um, I suppose keeping an eye on you know different things I suppose standards training like, and she wouldn't really look at players she'd look at management as well and you know probably give them feedback as as well um, like Caroline wasn't in her ear the whole time mm-hmm. uh, day in day out you might meet her or sit down once a month or maybe you know it depends whenever you want to if you want to if you want to use her more you can uh, like like some people would have used her a good bit others might not went near her at all um but she was there and again like i would have found over the years um you know if, if i walked into a room and, and and a sports psychologist or a sports performance coach started writing up in a whiteboard you know different points and you're all to go away and come back with answers to each one of them like that stuff just went over my head personally it was more the person i would sit down to one on one how are you um, how has training been going what have you been doing to counteract this this and this um, you know and why haven't you been doing this this and this I found Kieran McGinney very good as well when we had him for a couple of years um, I would have mentioned the yeah. book as well he would have sat down with you and challenged you as regards yourself what you're doing yourself personally training nutrition can you train harder can you push yourself more like I would have travelled up up and down to Dublin um, numerous times to meet him and I found likes to him very beneficial because obviously, number one, you'll respect him for who he was, mm. who he is and what he has done. Um, but then it's just the way he challenged you. And you might think you're playing well and you're doing everything right. And then he might pop one question at you and you go home to the car and you're saying, oh, I've more, I've so much more to do. So I found that kind of, them kind of people very beneficial as regards sports performance. They're the emotions of performance. And you had with Caroline with the emotions of losing. But and defeat it was in the 2009 All-Ireland. But... I always felt the emotions of injury completely different. So when you got or were told that your career was over, they're a completely different emotion to anything you've experienced before that. Yeah, I could have done it all them in one room when I found out. <laughs> when I found out uh, the news about my neck, all right. But um, yeah, look, that was that's that's very challenging. Still, uh, Ruby, to be honest with you, and um, look, you have your family, your friends, you know, fiance Claire at home. Um, they do help in, in in ways like but again you have to deal with yourself and I suppose you're taking our routine um, there's different emotions you you know something that you've been doing since you were a child obviously got more serious and serious as I got older and you're not expecting it to be over as quick as it did and yeah just wasn't prepared and you still still have challenges up to this day um, you know mentally and just finding the routine um, you know and you know different things I suppose taking out a high performance you know environment um, you know it's. I found that very challenging and, and probably still do up to this day You're, You get the news you need an MRI scan then you've got to go for a CAT scan then you go for an ultrasound then you're sitting in a doctor's office and he's showing you dots on your brain that shouldn't be there were you scared? Um, well the first question I ask is am I going to, am I you know I'm in trouble like and he reassured me I wasn't once I take away the danger of contact sport 
and I suppose when it, when it's put up in front of a screen and he's literally pointing to you what should and shouldn't be there it is a fairly straightforward decision after that to be honest with you um, even though I did look for more reassurance from various other people um, it's fairly black and white when it's put up in front of a screen in front of you and you wondered if you could still play club which I can totally understand especially being a GA person yeah look as again as I said it's playing there everything was explained to me that's why all the scans were in front of me in, in front of my face um, he wanted to give me the full picture and after all that and like he said look the best thing to do is obviously contact sport but he still left the decision up to me and I said fine I said and then at the end of it like I suppose very Irish in me can the cl- can I still continue for the club even though there's going to be all the same same issues as, as facing Inter County that's you're amazing. a sports person you're looking for any bit of optimism <laughs> exactly yeah, and like, and I had to go for checkup scans every couple of months and just to make sure everything is okay and not getting worse or possibly getting better and, and you know even still going to a, a scan in Limerick you're still actually kind of that percentage you're holding on to maybe that there's a bit of a major improvement or it's after repairing itself or something um, but unfortunately that's the way it is and I remember interviewing Conor Ryan when he had to retire and he was younger than you and didn't have as many medals as you. And one thing that really upset him, and he's one of those interviews I'll never forget, was that he wasn't going to get to play with his brother. And that was really, really, really hard for him to process. Um, You did get to play with your brother, but not being able to soldier with him now for the county. Like, how do you, do you think about that? Yeah, like I'm, I'm totally well aware of that. I got a, a great career and I got a lengthy career. Like you spoke about Connor there, and I would have played against him at club level, um, and county level actually. Um, look how his career was, was cut dramatically short. Um, obviously, Dylan Quirk at home in, in Tipperary as well. How his career obviously, um, he didn't get the long career that I, I, I got. So, um, look I, on that note, I'm, I'm very aware of. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm very lucky as well, but. Um, but yeah, no. Look, I got the opportunity to play around for a couple of years. Um, I suppose the key thing for me is just not getting to get that extra couple of years with the club. And um, you know, you are always hoping every intercounty player retires. Well, most people retire from their football team or hurling team at intercounty level. Get to go back and give back to the club for a number of years and try and give a good number of years, two or three years, that you can play at a good level for them and try and give back. So that was really, really difficult to take. I suppose that I didn't get the opportunity. Well, that opportunity was taken and you're lying in bed thinking, what am I going to do? Were you delighted when you got the opportunity from Liam Carl to join Tipperary? Does that give you extra motivation? Does that get you back in the game? Do you feel like you have a purpose again? Yeah, I suppose, to be honest with you, when I got the phone call originally and he explained what he wanted me to do, it my original feeling was that butterfly feeling in my stomach again, that bit of excitement that something similar to when you had when you were playing or preparing for a big game now I wouldn't say it's going to match it or anything but it's the closest thing to it and look it was too good an opportunity for me to turn down I might never get the opportunity again and look I like to think I've, I've plenty of experience over the years I've experienced good times and bad times um, I've seen what players have done in their careers and maybe what they shouldn't be doing and I like to think I hold high standards myself so um, yeah I feel like I've a lot, I've a lot to bring to the table and Again, it's given me that small bit of a adrenaline rush in my stomach, I suppose, to something to look forward to. And again, it's the closest thing I'll get to that high performance environment as regards sport anyway. What would you like to bring to the table? What ideas have you got? What would you like to <laughs> see improved upon? 
Go on, tell the nation. Limerick aren't listening as well. <laughs> well, I'm still learning and picking up things myself. But um, yeah, but look, I, obviously I've, I, I've played in a lot of game, big games over the years. I've played a lot of, against a lot of different types of teams. Um, you know, the game has changed dramatically in the 13 years I was playing the county right up until 2021, my last year. So I'd like to, I'd like to think I have a bit of knowledge anyway as regards different teams and how different teams are setting up and... By the end of the day, we have to concentrate on ourselves as well. Um, but again, I, I'll talk about that just experience over the years of standards and, as such, uh, maybe different ideas and how to play against different teams. And hopefully, um, I'll get to bring them points across to, to the management team that are there. What about the the coaching, uh, like the actual hands-on coaching? Is that something that you like to do? That you'd like to do more of? Um, trying to find good coaches in hurling coaches in Ireland is really difficult um, we know the value of Paul Canerk now in this uh, in this country for sure do, do you like that side of the, the game because it's very different yeah no I, I like being hands on as well um, you know obviously I'm only getting experience at the moment um, you know I'm, I'm helping out the Harty Cup team at home at Hurley CBS as well so I can get more experience there dealing with the younger younger people I suppose mm-hmm. if that's the way I want to put it younger players and then I hope to learn a load as well from, from Mikey Beavens and the lads that are involved with Tip with the new management team as well so um, between it all I'm hoping to gain enough experience that, but yeah from early signs and early days I, I do like the, the on-field stuff yeah Because there's so much to it and, and I guess Limerick have brought it on to to such a different level now just even the you know from a, a tactical point of view is there anything that you've learned that you've thought well you know I wish I knew this as a player it's early days yeah for me um, I suppose that the, the work that goes on in the background maybe and the information that's available to a player as if it's regards his own statistics or you know where he you know played a certain amount of time in the game or what his opposition player done in the game, you know, or what opposition players are doing, you know, all that information that's available, like that was available when I was playing as well. I just didn't know about it, and maybe I didn't know the the, the wealth of information that was there. I mean, I would have drawn more on that as a player. So maybe getting them points across mm-hmm. the lads that you know there is information there, and it would it could help you, you know, as regards making you a better player and improving you. So. um but yeah, there's stuff there that I didn't realise that didn't even exist. So um, that's one eye-opener I've seen already since I've joined up the lads. Homework and research is what is, is what it <laughs> yeah. is, Marie. Homework and research. I was so never great at the homework, Ruby. Neither was I. <laughs> but there what I'm really research. good now at is uh, carrying my co-presenter on my back, you know, most of the time. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're gifted at it, Marie, you're gifted. But home, homework and research, Paddy. But do you think that has to be married with flair? Do you think you can... Constrain players too much. You've played through almost two generations. You, it's 2009 you played in your first All Ireland. Do you think you have to be able to marry all that information with guys still being able to react to situations? Yeah, exactly. If you hit the nail on the head, for, as far as I'm concerned, anyway, that you know, you're aiming a shame coach for us for years, a manager would always used to say to us, play, you have to still have to play what's in front of you and what's happening in front of your eyes. And especially in hurling, it's so quick getting quicker the game is even getting quicker and it's fine management teams and managers and coaches can give you a certain information or coaching different scenarios um, maybe have you set up in a certain way but games take on life of, your, of their own and you know you take you take the Munster final in Hurlis this year for instance Limerick and Clare like that was just you know helter skelter up and down the field like and there's always a certain amount a coach or manager can tell you but you had to be able to play what's in front of your eyes and make decisions quick 
and that's where the good players come out and you know the good hurling brains come out Limerick had a bit of a, have had a bit of a head start on everybody because they had those structures in place long before everyone else is catching up now. Um, do you think the gap is starting to close just in terms of who's coming through? You're seeing, you know, young lads now in Thurlis, you're going to be coming up against all the other schools around and seeing the, the hearty cup players because it, it felt there for a while that they were producing a certain type of player. They were big, they were physical and they had the skills as well. But are we going to get to a situation now where that, that might not be the case that they that now the other counties can match up? Yeah, look, I would, I would, I would even follow the, the underage matches over mm. the years and even like the schools games and you see some of the Cork teams there, the Cork schools and that, they're, they're all big, they're all big physical men like, you know, and at that age. So, um, look, I think strength and condition in all areas, in all counties is starting to improve a lot. Um, you know, players are coming out of school, out of minor teams, physically well more developed than we were coming out. We were, look back at photos even when I was doing the book of me when I was younger playing, I was, well, he's skin and bone, like you know. So, um, I think players are coming way more physically developed. Um, but I do think coaches are becoming more aware of what we talked about a second ago. As regards, you still have to be able to to hurl and you know use your hurling your, your hurling brain and knowledge um, on the pitch. And it's vitally important that I think players are still coached um, hurling wise more than you know mm. some over the years lads may have got too bogged down on strength and conditioning, and um, that's why it's vitally important. And you know, reducing injury and things like that, it still comes back down to hurling the ball up and down the field. And um, you know, it's great as you said, these young lads are coming out physically developed. But as Ruby said earlier, you still have to have that bit of flair. Because mm-hmm. one thing, like you get from reading your book, is that like you were never without the hurley in your hand. And like I don't think it's the case for kids as much nowadays because there are so many other distractions that the time where you'd see groups of lads walking down the road with hurlies in their hands you don't see that as much but you're one of those people that always had the hurley in your hand Yeah you know I was lucky enough at home I, from both sides of my family you know they're probably all hurling backgrounds so um, we don't really try this radio they have the hurley to pick up <laughs> and um, what we were going to use it for I don't know but it was, um, but yeah honestly it was I got a great ground at home between my own juvenile club Dorlis Oak and at the schools in Turles are, are mad into hurling as well so we no real choice really but you know get you know delved right into it you know so um, but yeah like you see, but you see it as young younger crew I see below in Limerick at the moment I'm working in Limerick that every young lad is going out with a hurley now because Limerick mm-hmm. the senior they're looking at the senior lads and they're going so well you could probably say the same about the Dublin footballers over the years that it was all Dublin football so like it's important too that for the counties that maybe aren't going as well you know, to keep, you know, onto the schools, keep on onto the younger crew of just staying at and saying that because, again, it didn't always go that well for Limerick, you know, mm-hmm. over the years and likewise Dublin footballers, whoever it is. So, um, you know, it is to keep the interest there and, um, you know, even you see Dublin when the, when the well in 2013 around that year, when Anthony Daly was manager at, you know, there probably was more Dublin as going out of Hurleys at the time, <laughs> you know, so it just takes a small bit of, you know, I suppose from the, working from the top down and keeping everyone interested and giving everyone the best possible opportunity. What I find now with, uh, and I've said this through before, is just in the academies on the Saturday morning in Dublin, when it comes to football training, the lads are wearing the Dublin football jerseys. When it comes to hurling, I see them coming up in their Kilkenny, their Limerick, their Galway, their Clare. So when it you'll know that Dublin hurling is successful when those other county jerseys are starting to be replaced by the Dublin ones. But I think... It might be a little bit away from that yet, but with Mihal Donahue in, who knows? Yeah, Mihal, you'd even forget he's actually after getting mm. involved, you know, and we worked with him in Tipperary for two or three years as well and just found him very good, you know, he's a, he's a great hurling mind and, 
you know, he's great to see things in the pitch and give you advice. So, um, yeah, and he obviously seen what he done with Galway, you know, winning that All Ireland that they they were so massively wanted and needed. So, um, yeah, to be very interesting if he does get a kick out of Dublin and materials are there. It's just need, someone needs to right drive in the right direction, and you know, I think he he'd be a great man to do that. I was so surprised when I saw Paul Kelly taking over the Dublin Camogie team. Yeah, yeah no, it was a surprise to me too. Um, you know, but you know, again, he's coming from a great background there himself, and <laughs> Owen, you know, so um, and Owen got in Waterford, yeah. so it'd be great. There'd be a busy house there and a uh, busy household there between the two of them, so um, it's a great appointment, like, because he just gives everything a lift. Yeah, it's great experience, too. Like, mm-hmm. he's played, started playing Tipperary in the late 90s, early 2000s, so um, a lot of experience, too. And I would have given a year or two with him in the back end of his career, too. So, um, fantastic hurl over the years, and uh, I've no doubt he'll do a good job and he's good lads around him too with the Dublin Camogie team so he finished talking Dublin Camogie yeah? <laughs> sorry we'll, 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 we'll go back to your book party there's <laughs> <laughs> some wonderful stories in it great stories in it but one I really liked was the 2009 All-Ireland Final your first one you're playing full back Henry Shefflin is named in the half forward line but lo and behold after the parade he trots into full forward on you was there a part of you thinking wow I'm going to mark Henry or was a party thinking why Why isn't he out in the half hour line? The original I suppose is probably the, the former that he why isn't he staying out where he's supposed to be <laughs> but um, but yeah no look I kind of had an, in, an inkling that around that time anyway because you know Cody was I think he was putting Henry where the most inexperienced players were that, to try and rattle him I think in the bigger games but um, I had the experience that year earlier on in the year of marking him in the National Hurling League final in Turles and I did, I did okay on him that day so my confidence wasn't too low at the time but I'd said earlier that the first ball that actually came in after about two or three minutes I got out in front of him but I ran over it and left the ball behind me and that's not a thing you should be doing a full back and <laughs> oh, he Henry Shefflin no not Henry Shefflin especially yeah exactly so he was inside in the square and he actually just pulled in it and Brendan Cummins got a touch and just knocked it on the post for 65 so I just said I was lucky that if that had gone in my day could have been tossed fairly fairly quickly so um, it didn't go too bad for me personally afterwards but Unfortunately, we didn't get the win. Who would you prefer to have to pick up, Henry Shefflin or Joe Canning? If you were given a choice. Um, they're both big men, but they're actually kind of different players. I felt marking them. I think Joe is more powerful and might more direct going at you. Where there's, you know, Henry's more cuter and he's in his awareness of space and might ghost into space. Where there's, he might think you're going to go for a ball like exactly like the one I spoke about a second ago there, and he might just nip back way for the break or maybe and a, and a player a teammate might give a pass off to him and he'd finish it so and whereas Joel could be more physical on top of you and go man for man with you on the, on the ball and he was very strong and powerful if he won it he wasn't going to take a pint or hit it outside you he was going to think about going past mm-hmm. you so um, they're both sure, both unbelievable players but I found um, you have to be thinking differently marking each of them Did you you obviously played full back centre back right half back I think it was where you ended up in, in most predominant did you enjoy moving around or did you prefer being in one place it all depends if you're going with or not Ruby some days you might want to be moved and other days you might want to be moved but um, but yeah I, was, I had to be flexible enough over the years um, I went from full back to wing back to centre back back into full back back out to wing back so I was kept going but again Eamon O'Shea Liam Sheedy they all used to say to us you have to be flexible and you have to be able to adapt to certain situations and certain scenarios and um, I think the coach as well over the years in that, in that situation you know even in training games we were moved around a bit and 
you know, we were lucky enough in Tipperary over the years. We had, you know, we didn't have to mark much harder forwards outside when she came outside the training ground. You know, we had so many hard players to mark, so um, that gave you different scenarios to face. So we were very lucky. And um, but yeah, look, I, I never hurled wing back really at all in my whole life until I started playing for Tipperary. You know, so that was just um, the way it was. But um, I suppose trying to deepen, but you had to learn quickly. I suppose. Yeah, and you, you did learn. Did. Sorry, go on, Ruby. No, go on, Ray. So, before we finish up, Paddy, how did you find the whole process of writing a book? Yeah, it was um, in the finish. I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, Michael, Michael, Michael Mining was great to work with. Um, like I was often asked over my whole career, would you ever do a book? And I'd say, not hope. Like you know, even a few lads would have said to me, keep a few notes now, and you know, you never know what might happen down the line. And I, I, I just kind of said, no, it's, it wouldn't be for me, but. When I was approached to do it then and thought about it, I said, here, I'll give it a shot. And um, I suppose everything was so fresh in my mind, maybe it kind of helped. Um, but yeah, and to finish up, it was, it was like a, a long therapy session, really, you know, and I was reflecting on obviously the good days, and the, but it was reflecting a lot of bad days as well, um, you know, and it, I suppose looked was a bit, as I said, there's a bit of a therapy session, but no, really enjoyed it and hoping it goes well now. And uh, yeah. It was nice to get it done, to be honest. Right, you've done the easy part. How are you finding promoting the book you wrote? <laughs> yeah, it's a busy few days now. Um, this week, all right. Um, you know, getting everything done. We've the launch in on Thursday night in Turles Indiana Hotel at seven o'clock as well. So, and I have a book signing to do on Saturday in Clamell and Turles and Easton. So, yeah, it's a busy week. I'll be tired to come the weekend. I think. Just looking at the the lads that you have with you on Thursday for the launch of the book, Owen Kelly, Patrick Horgan, Tommy Walsh and Nicky English, like four real characters there. And, you know, and I, I think about you and your career, probably didn't hear from you that much, didn't see you that much. I've seen more of you now over the last year or so. Um, we don't get the get to see the characters as much as we used to. It feels like that anyway. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Um I suppose it all depends on what the managers allow in the home. <laughs> you know, would you be allowed to give interviews, whatever? But um, yeah, look, I don't personally don't think there's much harm in in, in players speaking mm-hmm. to media or you know getting involved in different things over 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 a season. Um, any anyone that's interviewed any well over the years, you know, you hear them and their own personality comes out. They're very interesting, and mm-hmm. you, you can, people can get a lot of you know, not information about the teams or the way, but about the players and what they go through, you know, and it's an off pity it takes, it takes like something to happen, like what happened to me and then to do a book for people to actually find out what what you go yeah. through as a player and the ups and downs and the, the commitment and sacrifice it takes. So, um, but yeah, no, we've great characters with us on, on Thursday night, really looking forward to the right <laughs> mixture of I won't say lunatics, but... Uh, You're not far off it now, to be fair. Like, <laughs> um, I'd say there'll be great crack ad. So the tickets are free, but it's limited to seating capacity. I'd say there'll be lots of people who will be wanting to go along uh, to that. So that's on, on Thursday at 7pm in the Anor Hotel. And then you are going to be signing copies of your book in Eason's Clonmel at 10am 10, 10 on Saturday. And then Eason's in Thurlis at 12. So you're going to be busy. Um Plus everything else They'd say you've no chance of making aces and Torles at 12 o'clock. <laughs> I don't know, we'll see you now. Well, given how Tipperary people are obsessed with hurling, I'd say you'll be inundated with uh, lads and lassies wanting to get the book signed for Christmas. Yeah, no, I suppose when we it's, it's hopefully get a good crowd and uh, yeah, as I said, look, there's, there's great characters coming in the night. You know, Nikki's launching the book who's 
a hero in Tipperary, you know. Not in Clare, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not expecting too many Clare people now. I think Clare's family at home now would be about it, I'd say. But, um, but yeah, no, he's a, he's a great character and, um, you know, obviously a hero around home. So um, it's great to have him launching the book. And then it's great to have Tommy as well and mm-hmm. from Kilkenny, who we had war against over the years, but a gentleman as well and uh, someone who we've greatly admired as long as they see in the book. A lot of Kilkenny boys we've admired, I admired personally anyway, and, um, you know, Hoggy, then I would have played against him since I'm 17 years of age, and obviously he's soldier with own, so it's great to have him all on board Thursday night. Absolutely. Played, him, played with him myself one day. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, do you score, did you score a point from corner forward or something like that? Did, did he scored a goal, Marie. Oh, right, okay. God. Uh, on Brendan Cummins, my pass from Patrick Horgan. It sounds like uh, that time when Henry Shefflin nearly scored the goal there against Brendan Cummins <laughs> after Paddy let the ball go uh, under his hurley. Uh, Paddy, thanks a million. Uh, that was great. Really enjoyed it. The book is brilliant, all on the line. Um, I love when J players bring out books. The more of them, the better, because as I said, we don't get to hear that much or see that much of them anymore. So that's great to get a bit of insight. Uh, best of luck with it. And uh, no doubt we will be seeing you on the sidelines, hearing you doing analysis and all of that. So uh, plenty more potty marks. Seeing as you're so keen on interviews and we ring you during the winter in Tipperary or next summer, you just won't be able to turn this down. No? <laughs> that's it. OK, we're going to take a quick break, but stay with us because uh, we have European football with Mark Langdon to come. <laughs> On 2FM. Welcome back. It is now time to turn our attention to football. Mark Langdon of the Racing Post is with us on the line. Mark, the squad for Norway was released today. Erling Haaland is in it. But is he going to be playing? Well, yeah, I mean, we're not sure. Um, yeah, I mean, Pep Guardiola was pretty um, relaxed uh, in his press conference about Erling Haaland. You know, he said he's been a player himself. Um, you know, if you're called up for the national team and you can you know, and you're fit, then you can play, and he, he doesn't sort of worry too much about that. I know other managers maybe have um, different views on on players that are called up for um, national teams, but there certainly seems to be um, a, a, a chilled out kind of vibe, really, from um, you know from Pep Guardiola. Um, I, I, I doubt very much he's playing that game um, against Manchester City um, for Man City against Chelsea in the EFL Cup and you know he obviously isn't 100% at the moment but um, you know I, I just sort of trust what what, um, what what Pep says and that there'll be no pressure um, from, from Manchester City put on Haaland to, to, to not turn up for Norway and um, he, he tends to like playing international football he he, he, he sort of demands the ball even more than he does um, at, at club level so um, I'm sure if he is fit, then he'll, he'll be able to play um, for Norway because, um, yeah, uh, yeah, City are saying that they're not that fussed, um, you know, and they'll leave it up to the player. Hopefully he will come. It would be nice to see Erling Haaland. But what about the Brazilian squad for the World Cup? Three keepers, eight defenders, six midfielders, and nine forwards. Yeah, and about 26 um, elite players as well in there. It was, uh, um, uh, yeah, I think it sort of, when it, when it was announced and you sort of see it, Stacked in position, um, you know, you really do notice uh, just how much depth uh, Brazil have got going into this um, tournament and why a lot of people think that they are the favourites to win the World Cup. I know from sort of Premier League angle, um, there was a disappointment, um, you know, for Roberto Firmino. It looked like he was going to be in the squad. I think it was just Martinelli's form. At the you know all season long really has just meant that Tite, the Brazilian coach, has just decided that he he's just playing too well, Martinelli, not to be in there. Um, and so somebody 
uh, had, had to give. But you know, there really is just quality um, all over the pitch. Be very interesting to see what the makeup is of that forward line because they've got Richarlison, Neymar, Rafinha, Anthony, Gabriel Jesus, Vinicius Junior, Rodrigo, uh, Martinelli, um, and, and a, a, a sort of player called Pedro um, from Flamengo that, that's probably um, less heralded than the, the, the rest of that team. I think. The, the general kind of vibe is that it'll be Rafinha on one wing, Vinicius Junior on the other one, and then Neymar behind the striker. It was always thought that that would be Richarlison because he's done so well for the Brazilian national team. I think Gabriel Jesus' uh, performances for Arsenal, no, he hasn't been scoring goals, but his actual performances for Arsenal um, might mean that he gets in. But whoever doesn't play, what an option to have off the bench if it is Jesus and Rodrigo um, has shown for Real Madrid in the Champions League how good he can be off the subs bench. And you know, Martinelli would be great against tiring defences as well. So, yeah, it is a really strong team. Danny Alves being in it at 39 is... I suppose the, the remarkable um, sort of recall, really. But Brazil, if they've got a weakness, maybe it is at right back. Um, Danilo is, is somebody that can play there. A suggestion that maybe Militao, the centre half, might just come across and cover at right back. But um, Tite just felt that you know, Dani Alves was the, the next best option. So if there is a weakness, maybe it's a right back. But I think if you're going to have a weakness in the team, um, that's probably the best place for it to be. I loved the drama of watching them get the news through the telly. I just thought it was brilliant. Um, probably a bit cruel, but uh, very <laughs> enjoyable to see all of the reactions, I must say. It, it was, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, we didn't get to see the one. I, I just don't know if there was like cameras in uh, Roberto Firmino's oh, yeah. house, though. I mean, that would have been heartbreaking if that was, <laughs> if that was the case. I mean, because you know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime mm. opportunity for some players to play in a World Cup and to represent Brazil in a World Cup. It, it, it feels special. It is, um, you know, it, it's monumental, really, to the nation. They they kind of demand that they win the World Cup, and it hasn't happened for them recently. But the excitement of just representing Brazil, what that means for you and your family at a World Cup, is, as you saw with those videos, really quite extraordinary. Except for Neymar, he didn't seem that excited. But anyway, <laughs> no, no. Uh, we've a text in wondering: Will James Madison be picked for England? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I mean, I think he should be in, in the squad. I think. He, I think that if you've got a twenty-six player squad, there's enough room within that to 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 have kind of that wild card, creative force that maybe you know you don't rely on for you know four or five matches at a World Cup if you go far. But if you are chasing the game, he can come on and maybe unlock a defence. I mean, Gareth Southgate has been so safety first, really, with his selections and. It would be against sort of everything that he's kind of done in the job, I think, to um, to call up James Madison now. I hope he will, and uh, you know his form probably deserves it. But the fact that Calvin Phillips is fit, I know he plays in a different position, but the fact that he's coming back for Manchester City, you know, he, he's the type of character that Southgate likes probably more than a James Madison. You know, even Grealish is sort of in just. I think because um, Southgate couldn't leave him out any longer rather than the fact that he actually really wants him in that team and he, he, it doesn't take much for him to drop him either. OK, Mark, um, as always, thank you so much for thank joining you. us. That is all we have time for the evening. Betty De Silva is up next. RTE 2FM.